I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. In episode 69 of the Food About Town podcast, we talked about the upcoming Rochester Cocktail Revival, which starts Monday, May 1st. And we talked specifically about one event, which is Smoke and Honey, which is going to be held on May 4th from 6 to 11 p.m. at the upcoming Bitter Honey site. And from Bitter Honey, we had Zach Nikita, who currently works at the Revelry. And we also had Sarah Peterson in here talking from Iron Smoke Distillery. And we got to sample some of their new batch of whiskey, which is fantastic. And we talked about the upcoming event, uh, which, I mean, it's going to be great to check out the Bitter Honey space. Also sample all these inventive cocktails using Iron Smoke products. And if you haven't been to the RCR before, I highly recommend it. It's a great event if you like spirits or cocktails in any way. Uh, one of the other events you might want to check out is the RCR Grand Tasting at the Metropolitan Tower on Saturday, May 6th, and that runs from 11 till 3. This is a big tasting. You can go check out a lot of different uh, distilleries and spirits. Uh, highly recommended. So I hope to see you out during the RCR. I'll be out and about a bunch. So I hope to see you out there. And if you enjoyed this episode, um, let me know at Stromy on Twitter Instagram food about town on facebook and you can also let the rochester cocktail revival know uh, on their social media so thanks for listening and hope to see you out during the rochester cocktail revival from may 1st through may 7th thanks for listening Jars. Daddy's in the garage trying to fix our car And I'm on the roof, gonna be evil Knievel one day So Daddy was drinking with Mr. D I think they started around quarter to three And when he finished his last drink, he sat me down He said, I've traveled the world the seven seas And I got shot serving in the Marines And I laughed with bombs and kicked while chasing skirts But I've been drinking most of my life And Lord knows I've had a heavy price so listen to these words, don't let this happen to you. He said, some of the best times in my life I can't remember. Living hard and drinking the same way. Think of all the wasted days and start to tremble. Son, you're better off not to do this. So this is, this is what people look for when it comes to spring in Rochester. It's sparkling outside. And I've got two sparkly guests with me today. <laughs> Why don't you order. introduce yourselves, Mr. Guests? I'm Sarah Peterson. I'm the distribution manager for Iron Smoke Distillery. Okay. My name is uh, Zach Mikita, future bar owner of uh, One Bitter Honey, Rochester, New York. Currently residing at the Revelry on uh, 12 9 University. And it's just really good to be considered sparkly. Yeah. I, it's hard. It would be hard to describe your personality without the term sparkly. It's a great. It's a great <laughs> adjective. I love it. Big fan. So this is we're we're preparing. This is going to come out Friday, uh, the Friday before the cocktail revival, and this is the Rochester cocktail revival's third year. This is the fourth oh, year. Fourth year. Yeah. Fourth year, and I mean, it's really become one of the signature events of the Rochester year, and. I mean, it's. I look forward to it every year, and there's always something new and exciting. And 
we're here to talk about one of the main events. We'll mention a couple others. Um, so for those that aren't aware, Rochester Cocktail Revival starts Monday, and that's it's Monday. Monday, right? Monday the first. Yep. So starts Monday the first, runs all the way through Sunday. There's events every day, and if you want to find out more information, you want to go to, I believe it's RochesterCocktailRevival.com for a full calendar showing all the different host bars. There's a ton of places where these events are now. I remember when it first started, it was really it was limited, mm-hmm. and now it's it's everywhere. I remember I remember those days of the the powers that be. I think back then there was seven uh, seven bars, and I was still new to the Rochester area, uh, and it was really it was really the the catalyst to understanding the the food and beverage scene. Uh, here in Rochester, New York, and also meeting all these fantastic like-minded people to kind of coordinate to do this thing. Absolutely. And, I mean, last year, it grew so much, and there were so many people from out of town, too. That was the amazing part. It wasn't just Rochester people. It was all these people from all around the country that came in for these events and tastings and judgings. And you got to meet so many cool people. I mean, if you haven't gone, it's, like I said, it's really awesome and you're definitely going to find something you enjoy at one of the events um and i think we'll mention it now so the big the big tasting event i think sarah can describe this a little better than i can yeah so this is the grand tasting event um saturday morning i believe it starts at at 11 yeah it looks like it's at uh, 11 o'clock on saturday the 6th Mm -hmm. it's at the metropolitan on Clinton Avenue. Okay, and that's so for those that don't know, like me, uh, <laughs> that's uh, it's kind of like right behind where the new DNC building is, just off of Main Street. So uh, right near Parcel Five, and apparently they have food trucks and food trucks. Uh, a tremendous amount of tastings. We've got um, a lot of craft distilleries from New York State. We have um, a lot of the the featured uh, sponsors are going to be pouring samples. Um, it's going to be a great event. Uh, we're going to crown a, a champion there, I, I believe, right? Awesome. What's well, always a good thing to do. I like being a champion. Yeah, it's fun being a champion. Losing's not as much fun. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so oh. and I'm I'm pushing it just because I've been to I've been to all of these in some form or another, and you always learn something new, and that's the cool thing. There's always people pushing different spirits. I saw there's one event with tons of different liqueurs. Was oh, I forget the name? Was it Alpen something or other? Uh, oh, House House Alpens, yeah, yeah. they're they're a fantastic. Just a uh, distributing company out of out of Metro New York, and they have some of the some of the best, mostly cocktail modifiers that you can find on the market for sure. Yeah, and there's some fascinating events, and if you want to learn, there's also good educational events too that aren't just big parties. So there's something in there for everybody if you enjoy spirits or cocktails or anywhere in between. So highly recommend you go out and check it out. And I think what we're going to do first is we're going to talk a little bit about the Bitter Honeys there, Mr. Zach. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as, as I was mentioning before, uh, Bitter Honey is going to be an authentic Mexican restaurant with a, a big emphasis on, on agave program for the, uh, for the beverage side of things. Uh, right and there. it's going to be located on Railroad Street, right? It's, it's 127 Railroad Street. Uh, previous to us opening a restaurant there, it was just self-storage. It was really nothing going on. Big old warehouse space. Um, and a couple of our, a couple of our friends, uh, bought that up about two years ago, bought up the, the entire complex that we're now residing in and have some awesome progressive ideas, not only within food and beverage, um, but also kind of offering, offering some homes to some <laughs> local businesses, which I think is fantastic. 
Um, so yeah, we're we're gonna be mainly uh, a Mexican kitchen, with again that big emphasis on on agave. I I've got like a sort of wish list, a pseudo wish list on Excel because I really like making Excel spreadsheets. Don't laugh at me, Sarah. I see. You over <laughs> I there. love Excel. Uh-huh. It's like my uh, favorite thing in the world. You know we were what? Just I, talking about this. I do have to say, I'm a big fan of Excel. Big fan. Formulas I'm, are amazing. They just make fun, things right? so perfect. I'm telling you, if you don't know about some product, you really need to know. It's the best. Oh, I learned so much. Oh, it's so it's, great. It's super geeky, but yeah. So, Go so Excel. am I? Am I like <laughs> my hopes and dreams for for the like opening inventory? We have somewhere around a uh, hundred different mezcals, uh, wow. and we also have about two hundred different types of tequila. Oh. Uh, again, that's holy cow. That's that's the wish list, but we could probably get somewhere well, close to there. But yeah. even so, that's I mean that's far and away more than anybody else has. I mean, that I'm aware of in and around this region, you know. And, and really, and really scrutinizing. Uh, I mean, you look at Mexican Mexican culture, especially with the distillate, and not to get, not to get, you know, too historical on Do you, but um, well, you know, it's there's there's a lot of argument saying that in fifteen fifteen hundred AD, when the Spanish conquistadors came and, and invaded Mexico, uh, that's when they learned about distillation, and through there was, through there was the the mezcal uh, as we know it. And can you explain the process a little bit more? Because I think it's oh, one. I'd love to. It's a fascinating thing, and so I'm gonna. We want to go into this too specifically, but you've made a number of trips to Mexico to study this whole thing. Yes, sir. The uh, last year I was I had the the pleasure of being there uh, four di- four different occasions. Wow. Um, my, one the, very jealous. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and and. To our listeners out there, if you've not had the pleasure of, of experiencing Mexico, I highly recommend it. From a uh, service industry stance and just hospitality in general, you'll never find a group of people more hospitable. Um, it's it it's captivating. It's mesmerizing. It's beautiful. It's sparkling. Um, <laughs> the uh, but yeah. So just kind of going on that. I my most extensive trip last year was. Uh, I went to Oaxaca, and, and if you guys can picture it out there, um, Mexico kind of looks like an arm. The Towards the wrist, I would say, uh, southwest coast is Oaxaca, and that's kind of the, the powerhouse for production of mezcal. Um, so I was there back at the end of June, and I, I had the pleasure of, of working at a bar right in Oaxaca City. And then on my days off, I would be going out to the Palenques, where they, uh, the Palenque is a technical term for mezcal distillery. And actually help with production. So I was going out there and get my get my hands dirty. Um, and it's yeah, I'm sure it is a dirty process. I mean, yeah, it's you know, it's it's incredible. These seven years ago, before before anybody really knew what mezcal was. I mean, at least in in the states, um, these guys were not looking at it as a, a, a manageable economic uh, thing to to produce money for for their families their village whatever it was kind of a um, local product at that point right it was it was exactly right yeah these guys it's were the farmers formants. and yeah. these guys i mean these mezcaleros um they're still farmers and they'll, they'll always be farmers but obviously in the past seven years there's been uh, a huge spike in in agave sales uh people are interested people are curious people are buying which is fantastic you know and it's uh it's to me the most sustainable practice for distillation in the Americas. Uh, it's definitely the oldest distillate in the Americas. We're talking a 500-year-old tradition that's, that's incredible. Uh, a, terroir, a terroir is basically the, the land that, you, you know, that you'll see 
Uh, it's a it's a term used a lot in wine, mm-hmm. where Absolutely. minerality from the soil, um, water sourcing, whatever whatever is basically happening in the land close to uh, a plant that's growing, is going to impart certain flavors. So mezcal being a very terroir driven spirit, um, it's it's incredible to see on a, on a on a vertical level tasting side by side with all of these different types of mezcal because. There sure is a lot. We're talking 214 strands of agave. Really? Granted, yeah, there's, there's a lot of agave. Well, and that's, I think that's something that people forget about at the same time is, like, we say, oh, oh, what are you going to eat? I'm going to eat eggplant or green beans or tomatoes. There's hundreds of types. Yeah. That's right. Thousands. There's all these different varieties of these staple crops that we mm-hmm. consider basics. And obviously, uh, you know, the... Um, what, what what do you call those? What what are the plants? The agave plants? Agave agave plants? Yeah, there's uh, so agave plants are are technically succulents. A lot mm-hmm. of people think they're cactus, but they're they're succulents with a lot of uh, a lot of ties to like the asparagus family, uh, and lilies. Ooh, I'm ready for asparagus. That's by right. the way, that's it. That's right. Oh. Summertime, baby. Grilling, yeah. chilling. Ready. Um, but you know, even even with like something like coffee, you're just talking about all the varietals that you'd find from, oh. uh, you know, oh, no. food that's so. I mean, to us, it's a, it's a household name, but with within coffee, you know, coffee cherries and then coffee beans, there's there's thousands of different types of, of coffee cherries, right? Which is which is staggering. It's an, it is. It's, an, it's incredible. Um, and and mez, you know, and agave more specifically is is no different. Now, within the production of mezcal, there's only about you know, there's like fifty or sixty different types of agaves uh, used in production. Granted, there's a lot of subcategories, varietals, so on and so forth. But in a nutshell. You're looking at about 60 different types of species of plant, uh, all stemming from the agave, which are used in production of mezcal. Wow. Which is just, yeah, it's... it's Staggering. Yeah. <laughs> it's staggering. Absolutely. Because, um, I mean, considering, considering, I'd say even no more than two years ago, two or three years ago, if you go to any, you know, liquor store, I mean, we're, we're a decent-sized city, and you go to the biggest liquor stores in our town, even today, you'll see no more than 10. And mostly, it's, you see... One. Yeah, one or two. I've been one. to I've been to notable liquor stores in our area mm-hmm. and I saw you know two bottles of swill on the shelf that I mean it's one, it's twenty seventeen. It Mezcal is a popping thing. It's getting more and more popular, but the fact that you have, you know, two bottles of you know things that shouldn't be drank, it's it's kind of unfortunate when there's so much variety and you're right that so many different styles of it too. That's a, and that's exactly right, Chris. And uh, you know, I think that people are fascinated and curious, and and at this point, they just they just don't know enough about it. Yeah. So, uh, at least you know, at the revelry right now, Rochester, New York, it's it's incredible to see people that come in and say, "What kind of mezcal you have on the back bar?" So nice. It's really cool. Yeah. It's really it's and I know a lot of people out there still think of it as like, you know, the smoky cousin to tequila. Um, which you know they're not entirely wrong. No, it's it's definitely that as well. You know, and I think, but I think that a lot of people say people are, people are curious or people are have immediately kind of written it off. Um, and I think that you know I always look people in the eyes and I say you just haven't found the right one yet. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like mezcal is like a, a really thing, a big thing. If if you really love it or you really don't like it, but you need to guide them to the one that they really will love. And that's the thing. It's like not everybody likes. Let's look at let's look at wine for a second because we we're talking about a terroir driven uh, product, right? That that kind of where it's coming from, when it's coming from, uh, Chardonnay, Syrah, all these different types of you know grapes that we know and, and we love and 
there's such a, a a wild difference between a Syrah grape that's grown in northern Italy versus a Syrah grape that's you know grown in Chile or whatever, or grown in the Finger Lakes. That's right, and I, it's and it's one of those things where people are going to be uh, a little bit more favorable to certain certain grapes from certain places. Mm-hmm. Um, you might like a Sonoma Valley Chardonnay. And somebody else might like uh, a Tomoresca from Italy or, or whatever, right? And and there's again on a vertical level such a wild difference between between all those grapes. Now, if you look at it from a, an agave stance, uh, it's the same thing. People are familiar with that that swill that you're talking about, right? Um, I mean, Wait, isn't there like a worm in it? Nah, like don't, no, no, no. I mean, there's <laughs> that's you know. That's, I believe that's, I've seen that. That's mm-hmm. for that's for another time, but. <laughs> I think uh, I think people are more more familiar with the products that were were on the market back in eighties. You know, I mean, eighties. I mean, realistically, a big thing was uh, again not to get not to get too heady, but uh, Comercam back in two thousand four uh, made basically were, they were the first people to give uh, sort of an appellation of origin type of idea, right? So okay. tequila has uh, the CRT. Uh, and now, oh, it does. yeah. So that's awesome. So that's, I mean, that happened for uh, for tequila. That was back in 1994. Now, 2004. We're fast tracking a little bit. That's when mezcal happened. Uh, so now and they have to explain. This is this is essentially the equivalent to the regionality that a lot of things happen in Europe when it comes to like Parmesan cheese, exactly, or right, yeah. champagne, things like that, where they're region specific and to be marked as. Champagne, you have to be from specifically the Champagne region. Exactly right. right. You know, and I, after they started uh, being able to certify, categorize, so on and so forth, um, and and start exporting, now people are starting to get familiar with it. So we're talking early two thousands. The things that we were really seeing were not necessarily a true expression of of the craft that's been going on for five hundred years. Mm. Um, it was things that had enough financing to get over the border get into the hand of the consumer, and be drink. Um, now, you look at, again, these guys are farmers. These guys, these guys do not have an, uh, a lot of capital to, to go ahead and, and showcase their product in the States. And because of that, we were never really exposed to the lineage and heritage that happens with generations past of these mezcaleros giving this knowledge and, and preciousness to their offspring, their kids, um, family members, what have you. So we were never really, we, 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 we never really had an opportunity uh, to, to really indulge in the depth, you know? And because of that, people had this kind of negative connotation. Now, all you can you know, hope for and ask is open mind and people to understand that this is a very, very special thing. Well, I think it's the same. It's kind of the same thing with a lot of our craft products nowadays that got marginalized or commoditized over time. Uh, coffee is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, coffee got commoditized. I'm probably, I don't know, I might be butchering that, but so it's, <laughs> but it was a commodity product. It wasn't really considered for quality or for specific aspects. Commercialized. Commercialized for mm-hmm. sure. And now we're looking at, we're looking at a product that has become, you know, specifically roasted for specific flavors. It's been handled with care. And I think, the customer base has started to appreciate that, and that's come along with craft distilling, craft brewing, 
uh, craft coffee, all these all these different industries have become more discerning over what, the last 10 years or so, I think, has been the big jumps in this. Mm-hmm. The past decade has definitely showcased uh, a need for, you know, quote-unquote artisanal things. Yeah. You know, uh, just, just whatever it is, from what you're saying to with uh with champagne i mean champagne has obviously been around for a while but when we're talking about uh some sort of aoc doc appellation of origin whatever and and uh some sort of criteria that needs to be met to to hit the kind of status quo be it coffee be it agave be it whatever uh the past 10 years has really showed people that like life is worth living if you have the right thing yeah you know yeah so i mean we got tons of different varieties you're talking hundreds of varieties at your place. Now, when you were down there and seeing the process, can you talk about, I mean, the Mezcal process is fascinating. Uh, can you talk about that for a second? Sure, How, absolutely. You know, you know, taking the plant, processing, and moving towards a product. So, I mean, it all, and it all comes down to the plant, right? So within, let's talk about tequila for a second, the predecessor to, to Mezcal, which tequila came about uh, in the Industrial Revolution, which was a little late to, to the jump in Mexico, but all of a sudden people understood uh, steam power is the way to be, right? So now they're, they found a way to accelerate the cooking process with uh, these artisanal, you know, stone ovens that are being force injected with steam, cooking the, the, the plant at a, a much faster pace. Um, and then they also found these little, little tools to be able to quantify an end result, making a, a, a consistent product through and through. Every time you open that bottle of Whatever tequila, it's going to taste just like the last bottle you had. <laughs> Mezcal, you know, you don't have necessarily the same luxury as that. Um, within that 500-year-old tradition, not much has changed. They keep to, to the roots. Um, and with certain, again, with certain species of agave, uh, you want to let the plant reach maturity. You age the plant, not the product, right? Mm. So some, some expressions of, of agave, some, some species of, of mezcal... Uh, that we know will take anywhere between 12 years to 35 years wow. for that one plant to reach maturity, right? So, like, you're thinking about a 35 year old cognac. That's that's aged like me. <laughs> uh, so, you first thing you want to do is be patient with the plant. You can't you can't accelerate the growth, and you can't really predict it. But what you can do is you can moderate uh, moderate that, and you can you can keep your eye. And your finger on the pulse, and understand as as these professionals do when a plant's ready to be harvested. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, you you knock off the the leaves, which are called pancakes, and then you uh, you expose the pina, which is the heart. After that, you're going to cook it. So when you're cooking it, you're putting it into a, a stone lined uh, earthen oven called a horno, and in that horno, you start a fire, right? You let it kind of burn its way through, so you just have these smoldering hot embers. Um, from there, you can either do uh, direct contact with the with the heat, or you can use bagasso, which is the spent fibers from the agave plant, uh, and then you line it with those pinas, the heart of the agave, right? So now you're you're slow cooking it in the ground for three days. Wow, that's where you're getting a lot of that smoke from because you're basically cooking it on embers. Hmm. Um, you're covering it. You put about eight inches of dirt on it, and you just kind of set it and forget it. When slow cooking, it's going to develop a lot of sugars, too. You get all those starches, right? And certain plants have uh, varying levels of starches. Some plants are easier to work with. Some plants aren't, right? Um, so from there, you're going to take it out, and now you're going to figure out how you're going to mill it. So traditionally, what they do is they'll break it down into 
they'll knock it down into kind of smaller pieces, and then they'll put it in uh, a pit called a Tahona pit. And the Tahona is a giant wheel. It's a stone wheel that is dragged around by a donkey for like eight hours at a time, right? Just like <laughs> it's just wow, just mewling around town. I mean, because that's old school. It's like it's like old school grain milling in a lot of ways. One hundred percent. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So now, when you're when you're finished uh, when you're finished milling it, you're going to put it in these giant wooden vats, open open air fermentation, <laughs> and they're called tinas, right? So you put all the all the kibbles and bits, all the <laughs> all that, all that fiber, all you know, whatever it is, and you add water to it, locally sourced water, um, and you let it. And now you let it ferment, and that's going to take, depending on the season, seven days to a month, right? If it's a colder wow, season, you know, long. you think you think about um, when you're not when you're not regulating temperature, um, and you're just kind of at the mercy of of the environment. It's going to take. I mean, you think about there's a sweet spot within uh, sort of like an ambient temperature in the air that's going to accelerate fermentation or it's going to slow it down um so they just kind of they just kind of let it do its thing you know like if it's a winter season a longer fermentation it's gonna be more extraction um which is which is not bad no that's good for flavor Um, it's it's great for flavor absolutely um so now so now and these guys i'm telling you it's all touch feel smell it's there's no instruments to quantify except for the hands of the mezcalero the the palate of the mezcalero everything that they do is just based off of the years and years they've done this wow. so they go out there with these giant sticks with a sort of cup on the end and they'll they'll kind of taste the the varying levels of of that vat right so they'll go top middle bottom and they'll pull it up as they go tasting it as they go and until it reaches a hundred percent similarity through through each layer, they'll let it sit. Once it reaches fermentation throughout, the mm-hmm. they pull it. They pull it out immediately. It's it's mm-hmm. a very everything about it is a very time sensitive issue. Um, so now they pull it out. They put it into their their small stills, and when I say small, it's like two to four hundred liters, right? These these I mean we're talking small. Um, they're these alambic stills. You know they might be they might be one. On premise, they might be four, uh, but what they'll do is they'll start loading it in. It's all it's all wood fire, right? So they'll start a fire on the very bottom. They'll load in all the the fermented agave on top of that fire, and then they reseal uh, their alambic still on the top that has a giant neck that comes off of it, going through uh, a body of water to the to the, the left of it. Usually, yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm. to just to condense the the alcohol vapors. And when I say that they don't have tools to quantify the product. I'm saying that they're going up to the still and touching it to see if it's hot enough. I'm completely like in awe of this <laughs> right now. It's insane. It's like, yeah. They're just like, oh, not hot enough. Put another piece of wood in it. Touch it. Oh, too hot. <laughs> Probably should pull that piece of wood out. Um, and it's trickling out. I'm saying like, <laughs> and it's funny too because they'll take they'll take old two liters of uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi or what have you. They'll cut off the top of it and use that as a funnel <laughs> to catch all of the, the condensing. Wow. Uh, mezcal at that point so it goes through it's it's almost always twice distilled there's certain certain companies that do three times but they found that the the sort of like golden number is is two times through the still first thing that comes out is the ordinarios um and then they put it back through and then you have your mezcal um and one thing that's really cool too is when they're when they're checking the abv of it they'll take these uh sort of like dried out gourds they call copitas and uh, what they'll take with the, the copita, they'll, they'll take a giant stick and suck all the mezcal up to, to their lips until it touches their lips. And then after it does that, they'll, they'll remove their mouth and 
let the stick kind of go up. They'll drag away from uh, from their copita, and they'll watch the kind of the the bubbles happen on the on the surface of it, like the surface tension from the from the from the mezcal. With that, they call that the uh, the perles, las perles, and they'll see how the bubbles form and how long they stay, and they can basically predict up to like a point of alcohol um, how hot that is. That's amazing. That's, the, that's absolutely amazing. That's hear, tradition right there. I mean, you can't just learn that. That just has to be like passed down from generation to generation. I couldn't go in there and say, "Teach me all you need to, all I need to know to distill mezcal um, in a commercial fashion." I just, I couldn't be able to to do that. Well, that's, and the astonishing thing is, you can buy pretty damn good mezcal, not aged stuff. I mean, we're talking. It's like in a lot of ways, like tequila, where you'll get, you know, the unaged, you'll get partially aged and longer aged. But you can get unaged mezcal. That is good stuff for thirty-five and forty dollars a bottle. That went through that process. That's right. It's astonishing the, the how cheap that, that is. The hands on that, and that's I just I I can't fathom that. Yeah, at all. That's and, amazing. And that's and that's the big part too. It's like so. What you'll commonly see in uh, in liquor stores around town or wherever um, <laughs> is uh, especially at that price point. We're talking like espadine, right? So espadine stems from. Uh, the species Angustifolia, which is the biological mother of the, the same plant that's used uh, to create tequila, right? Mm. Weber Azul uh, or Taquilina. Uh, so within that, the espadine has uh, the second highest large, you know, we're talking about sugars for a second, which is what mm-hmm. creates, you know, alcohol essentially. Yep. Um, so this this plant, uh, Angustifolia, w- is the second largest, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the second highest starch content in a plant you'll see a lot of espadine because it's really easy to to work with uh and it's kind of like it's the default agave you can cultivate it or you can find it in the wild um but it's it's almost readily available some of these more uh specialized plants and some of the the rarer ones uh that's when you start seeing kind of a a a spike in prices sure because you know like i said there's 35 years no no joke um there's a there's a varietal of uh of mezcal called tepestetti and it's you know it takes 25 to 35 years to reach maturity Arequino is like 25 years to reach maturity and it's you know it's it's the size of a man it's two meters tall it's like towers over me and i'm six two right so it's wow it's incredible and obviously then you know it gets a little it gets a little bit you got to pay to play and if you want to dance you got to pay the band but of course um <laughs> if you uh if you start looking at some of these these more specialized strands it, it gets it can get a little pricey, um, but within yeah. that, you like you said, forty bucks for like a, a beautiful bottle of Espadine is is totally reasonable. Yeah, today. but I mean, when you're going up and you're you're paying for the process, you're paying for these fascinating old plants that you know. With I'm sure how popular it's going to get. There's only going to be so many of those plants around. So how renewable is that? I mean, like, what's the the turnaround time? I mean, are they they're on, obviously replanting as they go? But so yeah, you have uh, there's there's two methods to uh, recreate, uh, a, 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 especially if if you're cultivating it. Like like I said, espadine is uh, just like Weber Azul is something that you'll see that they they do cultivate and they do plant, um, and then the wild the wild stuff you just kind of have to. Find right. Uh, that's which, a huge which challenge. Is, that's which super is, rare yeah. and like really, really expensive. And, and you know, not for nothing. There's obviously we've we've seen numerous shortages of agave in the past, and and we will see them in the future. I mean, w- like all things, within time they regenerate. 
they will be around again. The good news is, again, that these are still very small batches. Mm-hmm. So we're not. it's not like we've hit this kind of like crazy demand or critical mass of, of what people are looking for. Well, and all they want to do is drink 25-year-old Arquino, right? Like, well, and like we did a couple a few years back with bourbon, and you started losing all these, you know, the stocks of old bourbon mm-hmm. were just gone because people stopped making it. Were they gone? Were, uh, were they? Uh-oh. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, I think you know, we're talking about, uh, like, as far as a commodity goes, uh, Mezcal has not reached reach that point it's still it's still exotic and it's still and it's still foreign it's an acquired and taste and too. i think and, and, and i don't not for nothing I, I don't think that will ever change either i don't mm-hmm. think people will finally one day have this like aha moment and a light bulb fl- flicks on and they're like oh man like how did i never drink this before um I, I, again it's i'll take a mezcal and cranberry please yes exactly <laughs> um and that's and i think that's gonna i think that's gonna help uh with at least keeping the the sustainability of, of agave plants around, um, but you know, even just talking to to bourbon for a second, you know, it's like, and don't get me wrong, I am one of the biggest advocates for bourbon you'll ever meet. Big fan, um, <laughs> big fan. He sparkles big bourbon, fan. <laughs> sparkling. But you know, within that though, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to be said about uh, the sort of like footprint that that has in the world, right? How many new American oak trees did you have to cut down to make those barrels to char them to one-time use for 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 bourbon? Yeah, for bourbon, yeah. right? When it comes to when it comes to agave as a whole, and again, more particularly mezcal. Um, and by the way, just for everybody, uh, mez- mezcal by definition uh, is basically it translates to slow cooked. So that's why they say all tequila is mezcal, but not all mezcal is tequila. Anything that's distilled from agave is technically considered mezcal and that might be not not you know not the mezcal that we know today um but by definition it's kind of all agave is mezcal um but when you look at a a a truly uh sustainable product it's agave it's water and it's the hand of the mezcalero it's wild yeast right Mm -hmm. just open air and whatever is blossoming around that palenque whatever is happening i mean fresh basil uh fruits pollination of all of all it's types amazing. is getting landing bugs are flying into the vats you know it's it's, it's <laughs> it gnarly it's killed it's distilled don't it's worry right. it's, no okay. it's all it's all distilled in the end we yeah. eat crickets let's just do this I mean, okay. I, I mean i would they're right. delicious i have yes. um, but the uh, but the whole point is it it literally comes it comes from the ground as a plant it is then uh, processed by a dude and when i say processed i mean it's cooked it's it's milled it's fermented it's distilled that's it agave water dude create the thing and like (laughs) that's pretty rad (laughs) i like that dude is a part of the process agave water dude (laughs) done that's the process take your bottle be on your way oh so i mean obviously you've i mean you've learned a ton about mezcal being down there going through the process working in the places um what what was the most surprising thing you learned while you were down there? What what's something that you learned that you just kind of just blew your mind when it came to this whole process? I mean, on a, on a large scale, just just the fact that these guys are are so sufficient within their village um, that they haven't needed to change. They don't want to change. You know, these guys. I mean, we're talking a five hour. Uh, ride in the back of a flatbed pickup truck through the mountains of Oaxaca to like a small village. 
like Lachigi, oh right? Where thinking about it. Oh, I mean, oh they're, they're, they're great. We, you know, we we put on like a little jam box. You know, we drink pulque. <laughs> we just we 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 smoke butts and we're driving through the mountains of Oaxaca. It's, <laughs> it's not that bad. But like you know, to to have these villages where literally you think that like there's no possible way that that anyone could ever have any type of civilization on here. Any how could somebody like you are literally so far detached? You're like you're. You feel like you're the last people on earth until right. you like stumble upon this like this little village and the church kind of sprouts out off to the distance and you're like I mean there's always a church oh, of course colonialism um, and, <laughs> and then all of a sudden all of a sudden you're in <laughs> this Spanish. small little village and and the way that these people can can maintain a, a a practice that's 500 years without any influence I mean a lot of what you see is is so uninfluenced by anything uh, and and it's and the magic of that is is it's something. It's something it's, to behold. It's it's, it's got to be like, awe inspiring. It's, it is. It's 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 an eye opening experience, unlike anything I've ever I've ever seen. That's why I'm so passionate about starting. You know, I'm I'm a let's call let's call uh, a spade a spade real quick. Uh, I'm a <laughs> you're a pea I'm, in the eye, I'm, aren't I'm, you? A, I'm a I'm a I'm a six foot two Polish German guy from South Buffalo who probably has no right opening up a Mexican restaurant. But the first time I ever went there four years ago. And again, seeing uh, a culture unlike anything I've ever seen was was so inspiring to me that I just wanted to bring a little glimpse of that back for for upstate New York. You know, at least I thank you. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. I thank mean, you. Mexican is one of the it's one of the things we're lacking in the most here, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to food. It really is a very approachable way to eat. Absolutely, it's it's simplicity. Mm-hmm. It's it's simple. It's taking the ingredients. It's treating them well. It's emphasizing their benefits and. You know, turning simple foods into great things. I mean, utilizing things like pumpkin seeds, utilizing grass, you crickets. You know, simple things turn into these twenty-five ingredient moles, which Oaxaca is known for. And it, a lot of that is born out of necessity too. You know, it's and a lot of uh, things that are considered, you know, delicacies were were based off of like we need protein, right? And all of a sudden, it's like there's a there's a festival at the end of July. Uh, it's it's mostly through July, but at the end of July, most importantly, um, where there's these like flying ants that come out that that they celebrate and they eat because it's like once a year these these flying ants come out and and they're delicious. I mean, I've had them myself and they're yeah. absolutely fantastic. I know it seems really strange, <laughs> no, it's, but it's like but sounds it's, fantastic. It does, and and that's uh, and that's beautiful to me because like mother, you know, the necessity is the mother of all invention, and when you when you have so many so little resources um how are you going to make the best out of them and they they you know it and it truly has been shown uh at least in my eyes that that exact thing that's awesome so i know i'm looking forward to whatever mexican food creations you guys come up with there i know how the menus coming so far it's uh yeah, so what, when when is opening approximately? So uh, we will be open no later than mid uh, mid July. Perfect. Yeah, Woo. so we're we're we're, a- we're aiming for early July, but by the second week we will we will definitely be open. Awesome. And um, so the event that we're talking about is a combination between it's at the current Bitter Honey site. So this will be most people's first look inside the space, in and around that space, which is one super exciting. And uh, two, this is a partnership with Iron Smoke Distillery. Right on. Right on. Right on. So this uh, this event is Thursday, May 4th from 6 to 11. And, um, I mean, this is going to be, 
it's always a party when Iron Smoke's involved. What? It's hard for it not to be. It's isn't hard it? for it not to be. Yeah. No. No. We're a good group, and uh, we got some good whiskey, and we uh, surround ourselves with amazing people. And uh, I'm super stoked. It's gonna be boss. Awesome. So that's the event. We're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna talk to Sarah about Iron Smoke some more, and we'll be right back. Hey everyone, I want to take a second to talk about a new project I'm part of that I'm really excited about called Frankly. Frankly is trying to bring transparency to food sourcing for restaurateurs, farms, and people that produce specialty goods. We want to make it easy to know that people are doing things the right way and to make it easy for people to find the places that are doing things the right way so you can grow your business because you care about what you're doing. If you have any interest in this product or just want to know more about it, you can email me S-T-R-O-M-I-E at P-H-R-A-N-K dot L-Y or check out the website, frankly, P-H-R-A-N-K dot L-Y. And we're back. So, um, again, for those after the break, uh, event coming up Thursday the 4th from 6 to 11 on Railroad Street, right out, uh, right in the Bitter Honey area. And Railroad Street is turning into a hot spot for food and drink, like Zach mentioned right at the beginning. We've got Black Button Distilling. We've got Rohrbach. We've got uh, Boxcar Donuts right next to you guys. And we've got Bitter Honey all right in a row. And then, of course, we have the amazing public market right down the street. Mm -hmm. Finally, the public market district is getting everything it's ever needed. And construction is going well in the new area in there as well. So their new indoor shed is... Uh, along the way, I saw the floors done this last yeah, weekend. Yeah, it should be done pretty soon. Yeah, which is exciting. <laughs> and I'm hoping for um, better vendors than ever in and around that area. Uh, I've started talking more and more about the public market area because I think it's, I mean, with places like this coming in and all the opportunities we have, public market district is... It's a huge financial draw. Yeah, and it should be our culinary hotspot mm-hmm. in Rochester. Everybody should be going there. And the more we can turn it into that with uh, the best places in town, uh, I think it's the better for Rochester mm-hmm. as a food destination. So um, I'm going to keep on talking about it, even though not everybody likes it. So <laughs> Who doesn't like it? <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like the classic nature of the market, some of the classic vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need my basil. Yeah. Got to hey. have it. Got to have the basil. Absolutely. And there, there's people that are reselling smartly. Right. And there's plenty of people who are reselling generic stuff. And as far as it kind of puts a bad name on the market mm-hmm. and places like as much as, as much as it's kitschy. And I remember going there for the first time, you know, the, um, the incense guy in the, in the inside shed, if we're trying to be a destination for this stuff, do they really need to be in there? This should not be a flea market. No, but, they but that's pay, my, they, my opinion. They do participate. They've participated for a number of years. Agreed. They are grandfathered no. into this particular system, and it's a, a fine system, and it works pretty well. Sure. They are growing. There is more space available now for different vendors. It is much better, and I think this inside space hopefully will allow for places that want to do things better to have space mm-hmm. to have you know proper health, proper right. uh, refrigeration, Everything like that. That is that's key. The refrigeration nice. is yeah. Kind of nice. Key. So and I'm going to keep on going my rants because I don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about the other half of this event, which is Iron Smoke Whiskey. Woo! So 
Sarah, how long have you been working with the Urine Smoke people? I actually started on uh, in November, so it was. Um, I'm relatively new to the the scene, but I've been in craft distilling for um, a couple of years now, so this is just a, a nice transition for me. So, Iron Smoke. I mean, I've I started hearing about them on and off, you know, like two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when did they actually start uh, making product? So we've actually we started in 2011. Um, so we've been around for a while, but uh, it was a clear and conscious effort to not push a young product out. Um, we didn't want to use small baby barrels. We didn't want to use coils. Um, this Everything that we put out is going to be appropriately aged. And um, we were really, really, really impressed and, and proud of our master distiller and um, Andrew Westcott. He's amazing from Montezuma. And then uh, Tommy Burnett, who is the CEO and founder of Iron Smoke. He's um, He's absolutely amazing. So yeah, he's yeah. someone that you know I've seen out at so many events, and he's he's a man of music. He he is he is. Uh, so Tommy Burnett, he's actually from uh, the band Modern English. That was his first uh, or his biggest wait, wait, name. I didn't, know, right? I, I didn't know you that, didn't know that. No, no, oh, no. The world it, it was no, great. That's, yeah, that's no, that was that was actually uh, my first interview. He's like, oh yeah, I was in the band Modern English, and I was like, oh really. <laughs> And he go and he started singing. I was like, and I go, oh, okay, I got it. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, I got yeah. you now. That's that's pretty dope, man. Yeah, that's he, awesome. He's got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you're too young for that. I was like, no, I'm really okay. Th- you're great, though. I love modern English. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he came from that. He had an extensive marketing background with MTV, and uh, really, what we did in those first two and a half years is we marketed the brand. Uh, we made sure our merchandising was was tight. Um, you can find our clothing all over the, the world right now. Um, you can find us in Dubai and and Ireland and Asia. I mean, we're we're everywhere. You can find Scully literally everywhere, which is really really cool. So um, that was the beginning of it. And then in um, 2013, 2014, we started releasing our bottles. Um, we had one batch. Our first batch was 200 cases, and we sold out in around two weeks, which um, in the Shoot. craft spirit world is is literally unheard of. So. Yeah. Um, it, that was a pretty pretty intense process. I so I'm told I wasn't there, but I'm told it was really intense. Yeah, of course. I mean that's I mean that kind of demand right away. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's the kind of thing when you build when you build a product without having a product, um, you're building that demand. You're building right people's name recognition of what you're doing, mm-hmm. which is kind of pretty fantastic. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So so our first batch was absolutely amazing, um, and really it's it's just gotten better. From there, so and I can say um, wait, that for sure. Uh, Jim Murray's whiskey Bible last Ooh, year, ninety-four point five. I'm so oh. excited you brought that up. Yes, it's just not my body temperature. I'm not that cold. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that ninety-four point five that was really huge for us. So Jim Murray, um, he does a review of of whiskeys um, internationally. He does thousands of of reviews every year. So 2017 um, batch nine was reviewed at ninety-four point five and. Uh, it, it's absolutely essential for for a small distillery to to get a rating like that, and it was it was super important. So we're really really proud of that too. Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, I mean, having tasted it, you know, over over the years as it's been out, I mean, it is getting better and better mm-hmm. as it goes on. We're we're actually sampling a little bit of uh, batch eleven right Shh, now. Don't tell. Mm. It's not out yet. It is. <laughs> I have to say, this is fantastic. It's it's pretty tight. Um, I mean the. The thickness on the palate is just fantastic. I mean, it's uh, a lot of younger whiskeys. You know, I've uh, I bought one recently. You know, it's a young whiskey, and I bought it. It's you know, a small distillery, 
and I bought it and you know, it's, it's there. They tend to be thinner. They tend to be a little more fiery and they tend to taste more like the grain they came from. Right. And this is tasting more and more aged. It's getting that thickness on the palate, which. Which it, is essential for a whiskey. I mean, yeah. and it's essential for a bourbon to have some body to it. Uh, you don't want a light bodied bourbon all the time. And this is 80 proof. So it's, it's light inherently. Um, but it's uh, this, excuse me, this, this actual batch mm. has a lot more flavor to it. Yeah. And it's, it's got that, like, I'm going to use the term viscosity just because it's, I mean, it really coats the palate beautifully. And I'm, I mean, having had the other ones, this is definitely my favorite so far. Oh, thank you. I worked um, really hard. No, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> Drew and Larry, they do an amazing job. Um, every batch, like we've talked about, it gets better and better. Um, so, Basically, what we start is um, we have a 24-month barrel, uh, and then we go up. So we blend um, a, a whole range of different barrels, but the youngest is going to be 24 months um, straight away. So uh, that's that's the baby drop, and that's what we call it. It's our two-year bourbon. Baby drop. Baby drop. Well, that's, just, that's to say, you know, when we when you look at bourbon labels, the youngest thing is mm-hmm. your that's what you ha- that's what that's you're what allowed you to put to on say. there mm-hmm. is your youngest bourbon in there, and just because it's 24 months doesn't mean the base of it or right. even you know it, it's it's going to be influenced by all these different vintages mm-hmm. it's literally a drop you know like it, it could just be you know one little whatever uh into the the batch and that's what we have to call it but um up to this point we weren't able to say that it was a, a fully two-year product but this is definitely that that's awesome mm-hmm. um so now this is this is the main product really right i mean this is our flagship yeah yeah so we also have rattlesnake rosie which is an apple pie whiskey um we don't say moonshine because we pay taxes no. okay so so that's that's a huge thing like we pay taxes this is not moonshine yes you want to jump on that train that's yours that's not ours sure um but rattlesnake rosie is really cool it's a, a flavored whiskey uh it's a 70 proof still which is awesome we use ol- only local ingredients so everything that we put into our bottles is from within 50 miles of our distillery uh, we have a partnership with Red Jacket Orchard. Um, and which is an amazing place. Yeah, it's super, super great. They do uh, great stomps and shrubs and, and ciders. And, and their store is fantastic. Store is great. Just it, outside of Geneva. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. store. And if you're driving out to the Finger Lakes, make a point before you go to go and grab some juices before you go to the wineries. Mm-hmm. It's a great hydrate. stop. Tons hydrate. of local stuff. And yeah, you'll feel better after, too. Right, right. So, <laughs> so Red Jacket Orchard does a great job for us. Um, they give us ciders. Uh, they also um, provide all the apple wood that we use to smoke the wheat, mm. wheat uh, for the actual bourbon production. So um, everything that uh, we use as far as fruit, fruit and trees, and that comes from Red Jacket Orchard in Geneva. Yeah. So when when it comes to the whiskey, I mean, pivoting back because one, I've had that, I've had the rattlesnake rosies. Mm-hmm. It's not usually my kind of thing. You know these, uh, you know the fruited. Uh, whiskeys. Sure. Not usually my thing, but at 70 proof, it's a lot more palatable. Right. There's a lot more bang to your buck there. Um, I It's a great modifier. Zach came <clears> up <throat> with an amazing cocktail. I'm super stoked about the uh, Tijuana Rattler. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the silver tequila with, with Rattlesnake Rosie and fresh ginger beer. It's a, it was great. It's great. I love it. It's actually one of my favorite summertime drinks. Yeah, I was going to ask for a couple mm-hmm. for a couple cocktail recommendations mm-hmm. for the product as well. But before we do that, I want to ask about the um, the grain the grain bill for for the whiskey. I sure. Mean, obviously, you mentioned wheat. Yeah. So uh, so ours is a four grain mash bill. We use fifty six percent corn. So anything above fifty one, that's technically a bourbon, which is super dope. Uh, so it's fifty six percent corn, and then we use smoked wheat, and then blend rye and barley into that. So. Um, 
So it's four. It's great. I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that balance, you know, you get a different kind of softness from wheat than you, you do. do from corn. Mm-hmm. And the rye still adds a little bit of that fire and right. that spice you get some back spice. to it. Right. Yeah. So in batch 11, you get some nice spice on the back of your tongue, which I am all about. Yeah, I think I've edged away from straight bourbon mm-hmm. that's very corn forward because it, mm-hmm. it kind of gets sweet. It's a little one notey. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that little spike in there. And I think it just makes it a little more interesting when you're sipping it straight mm-hmm. and not modifying it up. Um, so, what what are the other, what are a couple other cocktail, you know, ideas with something like this, which sure. is at this point is a, definitely a sippable whiskey. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'd definitely recommend pushing it that way, too. Yeah, so um, I actually have two favorite whiskeys or uh, cocktails that I go into every bar and I order because I I like to judge my bartenders on their particular stance on this. you got got to have your basics. i got to have my basics. So your whiskey sour with your egg white, this is is a great bourbon for that. I really really dig it. Um, Donnie Clutterbuck does an amazing one over at Cure. Definitely dig that. Yeah, I don't Zach know. I don't know a about really good one. I don't know about that guy. No, he's no. he's trouble. I don't know about that guy. Super trouble. He, he doesn't have enough hair. And he's, <laughs> he's 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 way too skinny. So uh, it's hard to trust him. He's very <laughs> handsome, and we love you, Donnie Clutter. Oh, he's love the best. You. Um, and then a paper plane. Um, that's one of those really classic Aperol cocktails with with whiskey. So I I always judge a really good cocktail bar on their execution of those two. Okay. So I mean, what's a paper plane? I actually haven't heard of. So I'm interested. What what are what are the ratios, Mister L- Zach? Let's do this. It's Zach. all equal parts. So think of a, a last word build, right? Last okay. word being a, a gin, chartreuse, maraschino, lime uh, cocktail. You're doing three quarters of an ounce, and you're doing aperol, lemon. In this case, iron smoke whiskey, and uh, and nonino uh, amaro. Mm-hmm. You could also sub out. I mean, Montenegro works. Montenegro nicely. works nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Averna works really nicely. Traditionally, uh, paper plane was. Uh, was Nonino Amaro. Um, so one more time, that's three quarters of an ounce lemon, three quarters of an ounce bourbon, in this case iron smoke, three, quarter, uh, three quarters of an ounce uh, Aperol, and three quarters of an ounce Nonino Amaro. So it's going to be a very interesting cocktail. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty nice. It's light. Uh, it's, it's actually, um, it's more fruit forward to me, even though there's really no fruit in it. Yeah. Uh, super refreshing, and you can drink them very quickly. <laughs> See, the citrus would have to be nice, you know, because like I'm I'm a Negroni fan, right? Yeah, um, I'm into pound cakes, so yeah. uh, this is a great cocktail for me. Yeah, because I mean, switching, you know, because you can drink Negronis, but oftentimes they can be heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're using even if you're using gin, which is a lighter a lighter base spirit, but if you switch towards a Boulevardier or something like that, it can be it can get very sweet, mm-hmm. and that addition of the acid would and the uh, you know the funk from the different Amaro's would have to be, uh, you know, from the from the Aperol and the Amaro would have to be kind of nice. It's pretty nice. I feel bad I didn't bring ingredients for that now. <laughs> Damn. Oh snap! So, you've been working with Iron Smoke for a while. What's what's been the what's been the most exciting thing for you learning about what they do? Uh, well, you know what, the marketing part of it is is really amazing to me. Um, putting on these functions is really, uh, really important to the brand. Uh, it's really important to the community. It's really important to um, our bartenders that we we go to on a regular basis to beg for help. Please help me. Uh, I need to help with this cocktail. So that part is really amazing. Um, you know, the the whole process for craft distilling is is super cool. Uh, it's very scientific and. I got to be honest, I'm not smart enough for that. So, you know, it's it's nice seeing that. It's nice hearing about that. And, um, you know, obviously winning awards is really cool, too. 
Uh, we just actually got notification that we won um, in the San Francisco Spirit Competition well, uh, this year. Sorry. Uh, awesome. 2017, we got a silver for Rattlesnake Rosie in flavored whiskeys, and then we got a bronze for Iron Smoke for American whiskeys this year. So That's awesome. Um, pretty cool. Um, this is an ongoing thing with us. We, we really love the San Francisco Spirit Competition. I mean, it's one of the notable spirit competitions in the world. It's a big one, yeah. There's usually about 1,800 different distilleries that compete for something like this, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a super big deal uh, to participate and be considered and then to medal is super dope. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, where, where is uh, where is Iron Smoke located? I mean, it's, it's that's a fine question. I have no idea, actually. It's a actually. fine, fine question. We have this really amazing distillery. Um, so we're at 111 Parse Ave in Fairport. Um, we're in the old American canning factory, which is actually the birthplace of the beer can. Really? Really. I didn't know this until like my no idea. second, third month. And uh, yeah, that's where all beer cans in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s came out of. The, so, old, uh, the yeah. old ones you had to have the little the, tabs on. The tabs, yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to have the tabs. So No, it, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of history there. Um, we're going through a, a redevelopment development and uh, resurrection of that particular building because it's um it's very industrial and very old, but uh, we're right next to Trip Hammer Beer Works, which is another great brewery out of um, <clears throat> out of this. I've heard city. they're doing very good things. They are doing fabulous things. They've got a great tasting room. We actually will have a tasting room very soon. Oh, that's exciting! Pretty stoked about that too. Um, say right now, it's only you can buy. Obviously, get it at your your finer. Uh, liquor selling establishments yeah, in Rochester. Yeah, in Rochester, uh, you can pretty much get it anywhere in, in Rochester. Um, shout out to Schubers on Park Ave. Uh, that is a cool store. It's a great little store. Um, Greg's doing great things for me out there. So uh, love that store. But you can certainly go to almost any liquor stores in the city and, and we'll we'll be represented pretty well there. Well, that's exciting that you guys are getting a tasting room out there. Uh, with uh, with Trip Hammer right next door, that's, that's going to be a great little destination it, night. It really will. Yeah, yeah. That place is always busy and... Every time I come in at night, I see people walking up to the door and trying to get in. I'm like, no! <laughs> Open not, the doors! Not yet. Come back soon. Oh, so close. Come back soon-ish. So kind close. Of. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, so we're looking at, at probably um, probably fall. That's fall awesome. For, for a date, yeah. So. No, I, it, is it, now, is your tasting room going to take up uh, Tommy Burnett's jam space that he has there? Or, or are you gonna, you guys going to save that? You we're going to save Tommy's. We're going to actually increase Tommy's jam space. Oh, I'm sure you Yeah, so, so there'll be a stage for... For a little bit of something, something going on. As so, well there should be. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, Tommy will be definitely be taken care of. Don't worry, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, so you, you do a bunch, you do a lot of samplings, a lot of tastings, mm-hmm. go out to different events. Um, what there's got to be a up and downs doing those kind of tasting events. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's super, <laughs> super great. It's, it's great. It's super great. I mean, there's one. There's got to be a lot of people who are fascinated learning mm-hmm. about the product. Is there any, Those are the people I, I love yeah. because they want to hear about the history of the, the, the product, the history yeah. of the brand, the mash bill, the process. They want to hear about all of that. And then you have the people that just want to get drunk, which I respect that so <laughs> much. There's so a, much. There's a time and a place. Time and a place. Not at your local liquor store. Not your local liquor store no. and not, not at a sampling event probably. But it's great. I love them. They're great. <laughs> just buy my bottle. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's, you know, just like anything. I mean, there's... There's a time and a place, and since I'm looping back around to the Rochester Cocktail Revival starting Monday, um, there's events for everybody. There's educational events. There's tasting events. There's definitely party events. Um, I'm sure there's a couple fantastic events at the at the Revelry, Mr. Zach. Sure are. Yes, sir. 
We, uh, I mean, we've been able to, as, as a company, uh, so our, 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 our administrative umbrella group is called SCN Hospitality. Uh, that includes Bronca and Bushnell's Basin, Bronca and Midtown, Revelry Rock, so on and so forth. Uh, and we've been able to give ourselves some breathing room, but at least give ourselves uh, every single day within our company, there is an event going on from Tuesday till Sunday. So That's awesome. Because yeah. I, I think um, Midtown's doing an event, right? They're doing uh, a Japanese whiskey dinner on Wednesday. Oh, that's, you know, the Japanese whiskey, they did this uh, at the tent event last year. They had, uh, was it Suntory, I think? Suntory, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, I mean, going through the, the Japanese portfolio, and the Japanese know how to do whiskey. They know how to make a, a, a fine whiskey, sir. And man, it was, that was, <laughs> it was, uh, that was kind of an eye opener. I had a couple before, but sampling a bunch of them in a row, uh, that was, I mean, that was a great <laughs> event. Sampling a, a few in a row. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, was, nod, nod. You know, I, I had to get dinner after that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Be- Beam and Suntory, they had like 25 or 30 different things you could sample. Serious? Wow. I didn't it was amazing. That. I mean, that Be- was a Beam and Suntory are, are based, they're the, they definitely hold the purse strings on on all things whiskey, oh. uh, and then I mean they also have all of the Japanese whiskeys for the most part. Yeah, um, but yeah, pretty much if it's brown, it's coming from it's coming from Beam Centauri. Yeah, and I, I have to say, I mean, at a tasting like that, they they opened up all the doors. They had you know hundreds of dollars bottles sitting out there. Just yeah, go ahead and get a sample. Have some fun. It was okay. amazing. Um, so yeah, definitely go out to the sampling events and. Check out all the fine events at the Revelry, Bronca Midtown, and especially Bitter Honey on Thursday, May 4th, 6 to 11, for the Smoke and Honey event. Smoke and Honey. That's right. Now, I just wanted to mention, we oh, do please. have one more event on Saturday. Oh, please. We're doing uh, Smoke and Thunder at Radio Social. It'll oh, be man. A, a super cool event, too. Um I was just there over the weekend. Yeah, it's it's amazing, pretty cool. Yeah. Amazing space. Yeah, we'll have uh, Tommy Burnett band, obviously, but Thunderbody's going to be performing, and uh, we'll be doing a sampling there as well. So yeah, it's it's an amazing space, mm-hmm. and um, if you go out just just to see the space, I mean, one, you're going to enjoy some fine whiskey. Mm-hmm. You're going to enjoy some good music, and see probably the hottest new spot in Rochester. It's going to be a great hang. And speaking of which, this was a great hang. This is cool. Thank you. So. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Chris. And uh, I will see you and hopefully everybody else at the event on Thursday, May 4th. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Yo.